right now on Matter of Fact. Tens of millions of Americans are struggling to keep a roof over their heads. You are always one unexpected emergency away from missing rent and facing eviction. Falling deeper into debt if their car breaks down or their child gets sick. Evictions create a spiraling down into poverty. What's the answer for families whose paychecks just won't cover the bills? Plus, the Rappahannock tribe is rooted to this land. I could feel the ancestors there with me. Once displaced, they are now reclaiming sacred ground. It's a really powerful place to be. Meet the chief leading her nation forward to preserve what was always rightfully theirs. But first, this is our shadow pandemic. Up to 30% of COVID-19 survivors are long haulers. The only way to avoid getting long COVID is to not get COVID. What's ahead for those who are still suffering when the rest of the world moves on? I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. If you're trying to navigate where we are in the pandemic, join the crowd. Masks have become optional, but subvariants and cases are on the rise. Yet hospitalizations remain at the lowest level in almost two years. Doctors say that's likely due to vaccines, booster shots, and for people who've had COVID-19, immunity. That might be little comfort for people we call long haulers, patients who've had the disease but don't get better. The CDC estimates between 10 and 30 percent of COVID-19 survivors have some degree of long COVID. That's about 23 million people experiencing unusual symptoms that persist 30 days after infection. Symptoms that include everything from headaches and dizziness to chronic fatigue and severe pain. Our correspondent, Dina Demetrius, looks at the impact of long COVID on one California woman's life and her battle for treatment. I like being independent and self-sufficient, and a lot of that is gone. In the recesses of what was once a more agile mind are Cindy Lee's memories of herself before contracting COVID. Since spring of 2020, Lee has been enduring the myriad frightening symptoms her COVID infection left behind. Even now I get things that are new. My typical heart rate was 65 beats a minute, and all of a sudden my heart rate's going up to 100, you know? And I'm thinking, am I having a heart attack? She went on heart medication. Then within a few months, a parade of new symptoms came to stay. Blisters and rashes spontaneously appear, constant extreme fatigue, distorted vision, and significant brain fog. But, you know, the first one, I'm blanking again, and I apologize. I'm sorry, I went blank again. I've lost track of what we were talking about. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can see the areas in which you're just so struggling to get through the conversation. There's like pressure in my, in the front lobe of my brain is what it feels like. And my eyes feel like they're being pressed down on. And then the blankness and the words start going away. Like so many long haulers, losing her health has also meant losing her livelihood. At 51 years old, Lee, a massage therapist, can now only manage a couple of clients a week. I'm living off of almost nothing. A massage client of mine and friend has been actually paying for my rent mostly. I'm just trying to get myself back up and working so I'm not a burden on anybody anymore. 
Lee's own burdens include visiting cardiologists, neurologists, neuroophthalmologists, and more. She says it's been a battle to even have them acknowledge she has long COVID, something Lee noticed her primary doctor recently added to her file. It's like they all admit that they know about long COVID, you know, yet when we go to the doctor, they literally say, oh no, that's because you're fat. That's because you're old. That's because it's always something else. They will not attribute it to long haul. This is a group of people who have been gaslit by the medical community. Those are strong words. Oh yeah, and I mean it. Diana Barron is the founder of Survivor Corps, a long hauler advocacy group she started in March 2020. It's now grown to roughly 200,000 members suffering from long COVID. People were being diagnosed with anxiety when they were actually having tachycardia. If you have a racing heartbeat that goes from 70 to 130 just because you stood up, and that's not in your head. Long haulers take to social media to speak out and feel heard about their debilitating experiences. A number of studies are looking at COVID's changes to the brain and impact on other organs. Barron and Survivor Corps members actively share their symptoms and experiences with researchers around the country. Within a day, we can get the responses from over 2,000 people, which gives you a sense of really, you know, your finger on the pulse of what is actually going on. What long haulers and advocates want is an urgent program like the COVID vaccine's Operation Warp Speed. Why isn't the urgency there? That's probably the best question. And the urgency for us is here. It's been here for a couple of years because we really knew that this was coming, this post-viral issue was coming. It's just at a really slow pace. And that's the frustrating part for us as well as our patients. Of the handful of long COVID clinics in the country, the one at Mayo Clinic run by Dr. Ryan Hurt is at the forefront of actually treating patients, linking both research and treatment. Using some of the medications that we've used for other uh, like disorders and diseases that impact the immune system. And some of these are autoimmune uh, disorders. And so we're trying to decrease the inflammatory response that we're seeing in these patients by using some of those traditional medicines. Hertz says the real story lies in PET scans, a test long haulers rarely get. Rather than showing the brain's structure, the brain's ability to function lights up a PET scan. And we have found that they're pretty abnormal in many of these long COVID patients. But we know that the inflammatory response that persists does impact the brain. There are currently months-long wait lists to be seen in a long COVID clinic. But Barron says the wait has already been devastating for many. If COVID was our war, these are our veterans. And as Americans, we do not leave our comrades on the battlefield. In Los Angeles, I'm Dina Demetrius for Matter of Fact. Next on Matter of Fact, landlords heading to eviction court, tired of waiting for rent, families with no place to go. Evictions can be profoundly traumatizing and destabilizing and have long-term harmful consequences for families and for kids. Why are so many families struggling to keep a safe place to live? And later, a woman shocked to see the image of a black man used as target practice is spreading the word through her art. of America's renters are living on borrowed time. Government bans on eviction have now expired. Federal rent relief dollars are drying up. 
double-digit inflation means that families are struggling against big rent increases and have less money to pay their other bills. The result? Eviction filings in some of the nation's biggest cities are at the highest point since the start of the pandemic. According to Princeton University's eviction lab, landlords in five cities, Houston, Dallas, New York, Fort Worth, and Phoenix, filed more than 4,800 evictions between April 10th and April 16th. Diane Yentel is an expert on affordable housing policy. She's the president and CEO of the National Low-Income Housing Coalition. Thank you for talking with me. We're in a you know, full market economy, so there are lots of jobs. And at the same exact time, we're seeing this absolute crisis unfolding. What's causing this crisis? So we had a federal eviction moratorium, the first of its kind in our country's history. Congress provided $46.5 billion to help low-income tenants pay the rent or back rent that they fell behind on during the pandemic. So in these communities where rents are increasing, where emergency rental assistance money has been depleted, where protections for tenants have expired, sure enough, we're seeing eviction filings reach or in an increasing number of cities surpass, far surpass, pre-pandemic averages. I think if there's nationally a housing shortage, then certainly if you're looking at affordable housing, that's got to be multiplied as a problem. So nationally, for the lowest income renters, for them, there is a shortage of 7 million apartments affordable and available to them. We have over 10 million of the lowest income families that are paying at least half of their income towards rent each month. So when you have such limited income to begin with and you pay so much of it for your rent, you know, you are always one unexpected emergency, a broken down car, a missed day of work, a sick child, away from missing rent and facing eviction or in worst cases, homelessness. What's the face of a person who's being evicted? It's predominantly women. It's predominantly black women. So black women have evictions filed against them nationally at about twice the rate that white women do. So these disparities are a result of decades of systemic racism, racist housing policies. For many people, the eviction leads to getting a lawyer or starting a legal process. What happens to those families who are caught in a legal system without enough lawyers to be helping them navigate this? About 90% of landlords have legal representation when they go to eviction court to evict a tenant, and fewer than 10% of tenants have any kind of legal assistance to help them defend their homes. This is one reason why uh, what's called right to counsel exists and why it's so important to ensure that those low-income tenants can have access to a legal aid attorney or some other attorney that is affordable to them. You've laid out some of the problems, but I want to talk about solutions for a moment. The biggest challenge facing some communities and renters in those communities is that the emergency rental assistance that was provided during the pandemic has run out. So states and cities need to use other resources to supplement those emergency rental assistance programs. And then, yes, for the long term, certainly it requires the federal government to intervene and provide subsidies and other resources to make homes affordable to the lowest income people. Diane Yentel is the president of the National Low Income Housing Coalition. Thank you for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Coming up on Matter of Fact. My name is Chief Ann Richardson. I'm of the Rappahannock tribe of Virginia, and I am a great grandmother. 
how a return of sacred land to her tribe is giving this Native American leader hope for future generations. And still ahead, a dummy used for target practice. Seeing the facial features of a black person on this figure was startling for me. How this artist turned the target into a statement piece. a harsh reality. An estimated 99% of land once belonging to North American indigenous peoples has been lost, taken through broken treaties, war, and government-sanctioned removals. Now, one piece of sacred land near the Rappahannock River in Virginia is back in the hands of its original owners, a land give-back made possible by groups like the Chesapeake Conservancy and Acres for America. The property, 465 acres, was returned to the Rappahannock tribe in early April. The parcel sits at the lower end of the Phones Cliffs in Richmond County, Virginia. Chief Ann Richardson describes what this means for her tribe and her hope for future generations. The land back movement has been a part of the equity and inclusion and fight for civil rights in this particular era. I think it was in uh, 2015. And my assistant chief and I, Mark Fortune, had just sat down to do a mind map on what the return to the river might look like for our kids because we realized um, that if we don't do something, our children would lose that culture and that knowledge of the river. And so we began to try to restore those towns to the tribe. We were hoping to be able to garner enough funding to be able to purchase this property. The cliffs, or the place of these three towns, is like uh, the mid-Atlantic nesting ground for the, the bald eagle. And the eagles are sacred to the tribe. And so we wanted to protect them and protect their breeding grounds. And yet we want to use this land as an opportunity to tell the true history of the tribe because colonial powers and colonial mindsets that still exist in our state have really uh, hidden our history. So we were planning the celebration. Sometimes you're working so fast and so hard on things that you don't stop to breathe and really think about what it is that you're doing. And that happened to me on that day. When I got up to speak, I became very emotional about it. It is with great humility and thankfulness to God that I welcome you all here today on behalf of the Rappahannock tribe and the ancestors who worked so hard for today but never lived to see it. We were there celebrating the return of our people to those towns after 350 years. The earth is in peril and it's speaking loudly that it is in peril. And I think that perhaps humanity is seeing and hearing what the earth is having to say. And they're calling on those indigenous stewards to teach the rest of the world how to live and how to take care of the mother earth and each other um, so that we all might be able to survive. As Chief Ann Richardson said, we should all do a better job of taking care of the Earth. A good reminder as we marked Earth Day 2022 this very week. Ahead on Matter of Fact, 
Women are gaining ground in U.S. politics, but... That puts our nation at 68th in the world. How the midterm elections could boost our ranking. To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv. The 2022 midterms are just seven months away. Filing deadlines are still open and primaries are ahead. But these elections could be history-making for female candidates. A record number of Republican women have declared their intent to run for governor or for the U.S. Senate. And there are more female candidates of color than ever before who are competing in gubernatorial races. But while women are making political gains, they are still underrepresented. Women hold a little over 31 percent of all state legislative seats. And in the U.S. Congress, just 27 percent are women. That puts our nation at 68th in the world. The top three ranked countries are Rwanda, Cuba and the UAE, which have between 50 and 61 percent female representation. Could this be the year for women in U.S. politics? The proof will be at the polls come November. Next, an artist becomes an activist. I needed to create something as a way to give the figure a voice. The story behind the message she put on display. our viewfinder segment, a story shared with us by the San Francisco Chronicle and their columnist, Justin Phillips. Meet Tracy Brown, an artist and activist in Oakland, California. Over the past year, Brown was thinking about buying a gun and was researching her options online. In many of the videos, she saw people shooting a target dummy with some very identifiable features. Seeing the, the facial features of a black person on this figure was startling for me and seeing it brutalized and seeing it be shot over and over. There was so much symbolism caught up in it, but also just watching it was very startling. More troubling to Tracy, the rubber dummy was being made available through the General Services Administration website, sold to the U.S. military, Border Patrol and local police departments. That's when she jumped into action. She premiered an art installation and transformed one of the dummies into a commentary on police killings. I also added wings, and upon the wings, I wrote the names of people who were murdered by those who were arguably desensitized, so both by um, the police, but also folks whose behaviors were hidden by and reinforced by the system. Brown has also launched an online petition demanding the GSA stop selling the targets. A spokesperson for the GSA sent a statement saying, in part, GSA is committed to advancing racial equity, and we look forward to following up when we have more information. As for Tracy Brown, she says she'll continue to create change through her art. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and I'll see you back here next week. If you missed any of our top stories about one woman's battle with long COVID and her fight for diagnosis and treatment, how skyrocketing rents are forcing millions of families into eviction courts, a tribal leader reflecting on the return of sacred land, and a record number of women running for office in the midterm elections. Just go to matteroffact.tv and listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI, Pluto, and YouTube.